but we have a wonderful Savior to fall on, to fly to, to run to, and to cry to. And uh, He hears our prayers, and He is there for us, because He has promised to be with us always. Uh, The title of today's message is Living in His Promises, Living in His Promises. Our text will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read that and then we will pray. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth him with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you be with us today as we come to worship you again. That, Lord, we would fill your presence with us. That we would daily live in your promises. That, God, you will dwell with us and walk with us. That you will be our God and we will be your people. And you will be our Father and we your sons and daughters. Lord, may we separate ourselves from sin in a sense that we do not love sin, we do not live in sin. But Lord, we would run to you and into your shelter. Because Lord, we know that you are a good receiving Father and you have promised. And Lord, we lay hold of your promises today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard a uh, preacher at a megachurch, I'm not going to say the name or the place, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, who, who said this statement, paraphrasing, that the world, when they see us in the church, really shouldn't see anything different from them. They should be comfortable enough by just seeing us from the outside that they already feel that they're a part of us. And then they'll come into the church and learn. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. It's not biblical and it's not safe. The scripture says that there's two groups of people. There's two out there. There are people who are either of the world and of their master Satan. Or there are people who are of heaven and heavenly things with a God. Acts 26.18 says that we belong now to Him. That we were called out of something. We were called out of darkness. A kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And all through scripture these two groups of people are described in opposites. 
darkness and light. Those with eternal life and those without that have eternal death. Those who have peace with God and those who are at war with God. Those who believe truth and those who follow lies. Those on the narrow path to salvation and those on the broad way to destruction. Amongst many, many more, there's two contrasts. And the message here that Scripture is telling us all throughout the Word is that we are different. We are a called out people, a peculiar people, a called out assembly. We're different from the non-believers. And it's in this perspective that we have to discern what Scripture is telling us here. And it can go from friendships to marriages to business acquaintances to every category of our life. This message, this Scripture applies. The book of Proverbs, just all throughout the book of Proverbs, we see... Just some verses I'm going to throw at you on how we are to be with non-believers and befriending them. The Proverbs says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. 12.26 It says that we should stay away from foolish people. 13.20 and 14.7 We need to stay away from people who lose their temper easily. 22, 24, and from the rebellious, 24, 21. All these are representatives of people who are not of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that good corruption, I mean, good man, good, bad company corrupts good character. Now, it doesn't mean, I want to be very clear before we get into this, it does not mean that we turn up our nose at the world. This is, does not mean that, that we turn our back on the world, that we don't communicate with the people that are in the world. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that as blood-bought Christians, we are to be kind to others and not quarrel with anyone. We're to be gentle to those who what oppose the truth. We're to be patient with difficult people. We're to... Answer those who are against Scripture in a loving way. Because we are something. We are a city. As you heard over this week, we're a city set on a hill. We are there in this world. And our good deeds should shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. So we're to serve unbelievers in a way that we are to shine a light for them. Now, if we are hidden away from the world, we cannot shine a light. We're not to take that bushel or that basket and put it over our candlestick. We're to be that city set on a hill that points people to Christ. So when these scriptures are telling us not to be unequally yoked, to separate ourselves, to remove ourselves from, there's a distinction here, not to run away from the world and never have anything to do with the world, We're to preach to a world. We're to preach the truth of Jesus Christ to all ears. Because out of every nation, kindred, and tongue, He has called His people. We are to preach to them, but we are not to be them. And that is the distinction here. 
So we have to understand that there's a difference. A difference between being a Christian and a difference in being in the world. The world should not look into our church and see themselves and feel okay that the way that they are. The world should look into our church and see that there's something different. They should see a hate for sin and a love for others. They should see people who are repentant of sin and have turned away towards God. The difference between Christians and non-Christians, the difference is the difference between being righteous and unrighteous. It's the difference between light and darkness. It's the difference between love and hate. It's the difference between Christ and wickedness. What concordeth Christ with Belial? It's the difference between faith and unbelief. What part hath he that believes with an infidel, an apostate, someone who denies God? It's the difference between the temple of God and the temple of idols. You see, what was happening was they were mixing their life with the life of the world. There was no difference between them and the world. We have to, therefore, separate ourselves from the world. Be not unequally yoked. Most of the time I've always heard that in my life is, is marriage. This is not just marriage. This is life. We are not to be unequally yoked. Unequally yoked, kids, it's just a term to say when you had two oxen plowing the field, they had the yoke upon them and there was two oxen. You didn't get an ox and a mule and yoke them together to plow because they plowed differently. So we are not to be tied together, tethered together with the world. Are we free to go where we want? No, we have the yoke upon us. He says His yoke is easy. We are His, we belong to Him, therefore we are yoked. But we're to be yoked together. You and I, this church and believers are to be yoked together. That means tied together, walking the same path. If two creatures are yoked together and the stronger one decides to turn right, where is the weaker one going to go? To the right. If the stronger one decides to stop, where will the weaker one do? He will stop. You see, when you are tethered to the world, you begin to follow the world. When you're tethered to the world, you stop pursuing Christ. When you're tethered to the world, you don't want to enter the narrow gate. You want to go to the broad way of destruction. So we're not to be equally yoked, meaning in close friendship, closely bonded, walking hand in hand with the world. We have to separate ourselves, and there's in multiple places, in our religious fellowship, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our business partnerships, in every area of your life, you are called to live separate. Not out of, but separate. I have often heard, and I probably said this quite a few times myself, that those friends are good people. They just need a little bit of help, and I'm going to be the one to help them. That's okay in a controlled situation or in an area where you have guidance 
where you have a strong support group, but if your only friends are the friends of the world, you're not helping them, you're hurting yourself. We need to witness. We need to reach out to those. But we do not need to be in a close, bonded, intimate friendship with those that are without. Without having those close, intimate friendships that you have with the church, with the people of God, with your small groups, things like that. The Christian must be in the world. Yes, we we live here. We cannot take ourselves away from this world. We cannot. We can't get free from the outward and the physical relations that are in this world. It's there. This is where we live. We have a present duty that we must perform here on this earth to walk righteously, to appoint others to Jesus Christ, to live for Him. We have to do that here in this world. And you know, Jesus didn't even pray that His disciples would be taken out of the world. He prayed for them in the world. But still, we are not to be of the world in a sense of where we're adopting its principles, its way of life, its morals, its values. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're in this world, but we're not being transformed into this world. And the separation of us from the world is not just um, watching what you do and just watching what you say. There's a higher transformation here. It's a transformation of your heart, your soul, and your mind that we have to truly separate ourselves from the world with. Those who glorify God in the Spirit will be sure to glorify Him in the flesh too. Although we have trials, although we have temptations, those of you who are daily transformed in your mind will find the path much more clear and much easier to trod when you have been with Christ and transformed your mind to Him. The rest of that verse says, then we'll be able to find what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But we won't find that good and perfect and acceptable will of God in our life and our daily affairs if we're not first transforming our minds. And we cannot transform our minds if we are not separated from the world. When we are yoked with the world, our minds are no longer being transformed. So if we're separated then from the world, do we, as it says in chapter 7, verse 1, still need to cleanse ourselves? Isn't that what cleansing is? Just getting away from the world? Not acting like the world? No, this cleansing is vital in every step of our sanctification, which is our pursuit of what? It's our pursuit of holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. That is our calling. Be like Christ. We're to be separated and then we're to be something else. We don't pull ourselves from the world and just stand alone. We're to pull ourselves from the world and pursue Christ. We're to be carrying on this this course of a lifestyle of, of righteousness and holiness all the way to the end. And we're to persevere through a continual cleansing of our hearts and of our minds, which is that transforming of your mind. 
But we can't do it on our own. I'll tell you that. You all know that. It's, it's not a new revelation. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot walk holy. We cannot separate ourselves without Christ. The cleansing of the Spirit and the cleansing of the body are both things that we need Christ for. Now, there's, you, can, you can follow rules. The Pharisees did. They followed every one of those cleansing ritual rules. But what did Christ call them? A whitewashed sepulcher, a whitewashed tomb. On the outside it's beautiful and on the inside it's full of, of dead bones. So this, this is not a, a, a message to tell you that you must walk this way and you must act this way and you must talk this way and that's all that you need. Your acting, your talking, your walking are to be a result of the transforming of your mind. Not just a physical outward show that you can obey a set of rules. It's to realize and to acknowledge that you are not your own. It's to realize and acknowledge that you have been blood-bought by Jesus Christ. We're to strive for that holiness in our mind. But in doing so, we must strive for holiness with our bodies as well. And that's what he's talking about then to, to them here in 2 Corinthians is getting away from the idols, get away from the temples, the unclean things, separating themselves from them. So is it enough to have a renewed, regenerate mind, but your body not follow suit? No, we know that doesn't make sense either. Charles Spurgeon says, Our eyes must not spare, nor must our hearts pity one pet sin. So we're to be fighting against spiritual inward sin and outward bodily sin. And we're to do it thoroughly with our flesh and our spirit. Matthew Henry says, For God is to be glorified both with body and with soul. And that's where we see where the Pharisees erred. That they were trying to show God that, God, I am independent of you, as you heard today. I don't need you to hold my bicycle. I can do it all on my own. Watch me do this. As Brother Mike told us this morning, we need the training wheels. And more than the training wheels, we need God right behind us holding on to that bicycle and helping us through. And the aim, what is our aim of this? What's the aim of this cleansing? It's to perfect us, to bring us to a, as it says, a completeness in our holiness. And we know that we will not be fully complete in our holiness till we're in glory. But it is a pursuit that we are to daily strive for. We're to have this reverent fear of God as the source of this Christian holiness. In chapter 7, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, he tells us to do this, to cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not some servile, slavish fear, but more of a... It's an humble trust in God. It's an humble trust in His promises. It's a dependence on Him for the grace and the strength to do what He has called us to do in our unequally yoking ourselves. Because I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's not easy to walk separate from the world sometimes. When you go to work, you may be the only Christian there. When you go to school, you may be the only Christian there. It's not an easy walk. 
unless you're surrounded by good Christian people. But sadly, not everybody has that. But they do have something else. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are alone, where you are the only one, I want you to remember that God has promised to be with you. God has promised. And that's how we're to cleanse ourselves is through His promises. We're never independent of God. We're not walking alone without God. And if so, we're nothing more than those whitewashed tombs. If we're trying to walk without God, separating ourselves from the world outside of Christ is not only hard, it's impossible. You cannot separate yourself from the world without Christ. But I'm going to tell you today that there is no possible way that I could trudge through this dark and dreary land trying to do my best. There's no way that I could do it without knowing that God is with me. I can't do it. It hurts. It's impossible. But I tell you that when you remember the promises of God, no dark trial is so dark that you don't see a glimmer of light, of hope in Christ Jesus. And He is not just with us in this omnipresence like He is everywhere. Yes, God is omnipresent everywhere. He is with you in a special way. So let's look at these. There's four promises that we see here. There's four promises. And they're in verses 16 and 18. And he says, I will dwell in them. Hath God not said? And he's, Paul is what he's doing is he's paraphrasing several um, passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. But the main one that's referenced here is Leviticus 26. And he says, I will dwell with them. The first promise of God is that He has promised to dwell with you. Now if we say, well, this was the Old Testament. God was promising to dwell with Israel. This promise that was made to the lineage of Abraham is the same promise for all who are in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 says, For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. 1 John chapter 2 says, I will dwell in them. Yes, we know He dwells everywhere, but by His Spirit and His grace, He is dwelling you with you in a special way. <clears throat> this does not mean that God set up a tabernacle and He visits you from time to time. This dwelling is talking about the temple. The Old Testament temple that traveled. And God's presence was there in that Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, where God was present. God is dwelling in you in that exact same way. 
that He was dwelling in the temple. His presence is special. And you, it, when God was in that temple in the Old Testament, He was still omnipresent. He was still everywhere. But there was the Shekinah glory. The manifest glory of God was in that temple. And God tells you now that in these trials and in these struggles and in these trying to unyoke yourself from the world and trying to be separate from the world and the challenges that come with it and the hard stuff that comes with it, He is dwelling with you. His presence is upon you. I need that promise. I need to hear that promise that God is living with me. That He is living in me. That God is not an aloof God. That I don't just see God in the Scriptures. That God is just in heaven and I have to wait to see Him there. That God is now present, dwelling, living with me. The second promise. He says, and I will dwell with them and I will walk in them or walk among them. It is the promise of communion. God is not only dwelling with you, God is communing with you. God's ears are open to you. In your hardest trial, in your deepest struggle, in the temptations of the world, when you're trying to break free of the yoke of the unbelievers and you're trying to show yourself separate from the world, which is hard to do, God is still communing with you and He hears your prayers. He says, I will be among you and I will walk among you. We know that we will walk with Him one day in heaven. And I look forward to that day. I do. But to know that right now, when I have struggles, when I have fears, when this world seems to be falling apart around us, that God is communing and walking with me through every step of this way. As you heard this morning, he is, He's the Alpha and He's the Omega and He's everything in between with you. He is with you walking each step of this troubled road. In the same way that God walked with the Israelites in that temple, in that tabernacle, while they're traveling through this, the wilderness of Canaan. Even so now, He is walking in this temple, in you. Because you are His temple, and He is now walking with you. We're traveling, as the Israelites were, we're traveling to a heavenly Canaan, a promised land. They were pilgrims traveling through that land. And that temple traveled with them and His presence was continually with them. And in that same way, as you reach for, as we trudge along as pilgrims to that heavenly promised land, God walks among us, among His people. That gives me comfort. That gives me joy. And that gives me peace. That gives me a peace to know that God is with me. Didn't Jesus promise us that very thing in Matthew chapter 28? Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the world. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. He is not traveling 
through and then leaving. He dwells in you and He walks among you and He has promised to be with you always. And then the third promise. He says, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the promise of a covenant with you. God has promised to be your God. And He has promised that you will be His people. Not just the the God of, of nature and providence that we all see. The God that we can see in the stars and the moon and the sun and the trees and in nature. He is your God. And you are His people. God has bestowed His covenant of grace upon you to make you a part of His kingdom. And they shall be my people, His special people. We are a peculiar people. You are. You are. You are a peculiar people. That means you are special. It doesn't mean you're an odd people. It means you're a special, set-apart people to Him. And we are His people by His powerful grace because He has made it so. And the fourth promise, the promise of adoption. Verse 16 says, I will dwell with you, the promise of dwelling. I will walk among them, the promise of communion. I will be their God, the promise of a covenant. And then in verse 18, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, said the Lord Almighty. Now, I'm a father. I am. But my love and affection, it fails. My care of my children is inadequate. I don't have everything at my disposal to give to them. I don't have the power and the means to do everything I want for my children. And I sadly have to admit, sometimes my heart is not with my children. But God is not inadequate. God is not limited in His resources as a father. He is not limited in His means as a father. He is not limited in His power. And He is not limited in His will to be a loving father. I fail from time to time, but God does not ever fail. Because He is a God of promise and He has promised to be your Father and that you will be His sons and daughters. And it doesn't matter if you're having a little trouble breaking free of that yoke as we often do. Sometimes we want to go back to that unequally yoked lifestyle. Sometimes we want to go back to the old friendships But God will not let you go because He is a Father who loves His children. Isaiah chapter 43, He says, I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. God loves His 
children. And He will not let you go. And from the farthest ends of the earth, He will call His sons and His daughters. When He has made this promise of adoption, He's not just promising to bring you into a house. He's promising to bring you to His home, to be His, that He will care for you, that He will love you. And God is not satisfied simply to just be called a father. But He acts and He shows us the heart of a true father in His care for us. He provides everything that we spiritually need. He provides everything that we need for happiness. Oh man, it's so hard to be happy sometimes though. But God has provided everything to you, son, and you, daughter, that you need for happiness. He's provided everything that you need to get to the path. He has provided everything that you need to walk through this life. And He provides you all the comfort that we need in our sorrow. Because He is a loving Father. Having these promises, having these promises makes you realize that that yoke is that much easier to shed. That that yoke is that much easier to break free of. That it becomes easier to cleanse ourselves. Is it painless? No. That cleansing process is very painful. But you become willing to do so when you remember the promises. When you remember that the world doesn't have what you need and you don't want what it offers. That all you need is Christ. And we begin to separate ourselves from the intimacy of this world. And we start to cleanse ourselves through promises in Jesus Christ. So be in this world. We have to, but don't be of this world. And when you don't know how you're to do that, and you don't know the steps to take, which there's going to be times where you just don't know what to do, and you don't know the right answers, and you don't know the right things to say in that situation, remember one thing. God is a God of promise. And He will never leave you And He will never forsake you. Remember that He dwells in you. That He is communing with you. That He is your King. And you are His child. You are His son and daughter. So live this life in His promises. Because that's the only way to do so. Remembering that you are a blood-bought a blood-bought person, a blood-bought son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.